FIRA USA 2022 will be the unique three-day event dedicated to autonomous agriculture and agricultural robotics solutions. Featuring one day of R&D, one day of farm business speakers, and an in-field demo day, FIRA USA will take place this fall, October 18th to 20th, 2022, in Fresno, California. Discover the latest innovations from manufacturers on robotic and autonomous solutions that can take your farm to the next level. Visit fira-agtech.com. That's fira, F-I-R-A hyphen A-G-T-E-C-H.com for more information and to register today. I'm Chrissy Wozniak. My guest today is the CEO and founder of Verity, a, com- a company doing incredible work across the globe, providing off-grid water management tools for growers. He's a tenured associate professor at the University of Colorado at Boulder and has a PhD in aerospace engineering sciences. Um, sorry, the uh, from Boulder, Colorado, I'd like to welcome Dr. Evan Thomas. Welcome, Evan, and thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Chrissy. Thanks for having us. Yeah, for sure. And um, first of all, can you tell me a bit about your educational background? Sure. I'm talking from Boulder, Colorado, where uh, I actually went to school here. Uh, my PhD is in aerospace engineering uh, from the University of Colorado. I worked at NASA at the Johnson Space Center in Houston for the beginning part of my career, where I worked on water recycling systems for spacecraft. So how do we make sure that astronauts on the space station have clean, safe drinking water every day? And when I was at NASA, started my first company that uh, years later has turned into what we're going to talk about today. Wow, that's amazing. So so how exactly do they get water on the moon <laughs> in space? How, how is that? I know that's totally off topic, but it's, I'm super curious about that. Yeah, so up on the space station, the astronauts need the same things that we need here on Earth, right? They need clean air, they need clean water, they need shelter. The shelter is provided by the space station itself. Air is compressible, so you can basically bring it up in scuba tanks, essentially, and it leaks out a little bit, uh, and they can just bring up, make up gas, as well as scrubbing the CO2 out of the air. But water is really heavy, and it's incompressible, so you can't just pack it down and bring up fresh drinking water every day. And it costs about twenty dollars to $30,000 per pound of anything, including water you bring up to the space station. So for many years, NASA has focused on recycling the drinking water. And so where do we get that water? Well, every human respirates. We breathe out about a liter of water a day. We perspire. We sweat out about a liter of water a day. And we urinate. We pee about a liter of water a day. So there's about three liters of water going in and out of the human body every day. Up on the space station, we capture all of that respiration, perspiration, and urination and distill it. They essentially boil the water, uh, although at very low pressure, so it's not actually a boiling temperature, and recover that boiled off water. So, you know, the cup of coffee that wow. one was drinking one day, her her buddy is drinking the next day, the same same cup of coffee. That's amazing. I never thought about that. <laughs> That's really incredible. So what motivated you to start Verity to begin with? When I was at NASA, I, I learned a lot about water treatment, but also about water access globally. There's about half the world's population, a little less than half, about 3 billion people face water insecurity 
at least a couple of times a year, which means that they don't have enough drinking water or they don't have enough water for their livestock or for their crops. And this is a problem that's getting worse globally because of climate change. In fact, it's one of the first effects that most people in the world will see because of climate change. Dry places will get drier, so there's less water. Wet places will get wetter, so you have issues like water contamination and flooding, which you know are equally devastating as droughts. And when I was at NASA, I started my first company that was focused on using the climate finance markets or carbon credits to actually fund drinking water service delivery in Africa. So we did the first demonstration of how we could actually earn revenue and support clean drinking water supplies in Rwanda about 15 years ago. Uh, and that led to scaling that effort. Uh, and I left NASA around 2010 to actually bring that business model to scale. Wow. And where did the name come from? Beardy is... Uh, is <laughs> well, we had a lot of marketing support on that. You know, <laughs> we needed to find uh, a name that evoked technology and optimism and green and uh, and really action oriented. You know, our mission is to help growers, help ranchers and help communities ensure their water security long term and do it in a way that actually generates revenue rather than just costing more money. And so with Verity, we apply sensor technologies and innovative revenue streams so that we can actually pay communities, pay farmers, pay growers and ranchers to conserve or manage water better. Wow, that's cool. And um, what's unique about Verity's technology and their approach? So when we think about water and security, it means different things in different places. Here in the Western United States, the Colorado River starts, you know, about 30 miles from where I'm sitting right now, uh, up in the Rocky Mountains, and it flows sometimes to Mexico, often it's not flowing to Mexico, and we all know uh, how devastating this drought is. It's a mega drought, it's the first mega drought in 1,200 years, and we're entering the third decade, so it's been more than 20 years now of this mega drought, and the result is that Lake Powell and Lake Mead are emptying. You know, we're within a few feet of the intakes of the Hoover Dam. We are, so that actually implicates our power supply as well as our water supply. When there's less surface water available from rivers like the Colorado River, the response is to pump more water out of the ground, pump more groundwater. But this is fossil water. It took thousands or even millions of years to accumulate. And we're pumping it at a just an incredibly unsustainable rate. There's areas of the Central Valley in California where the ground has literally dropped, subsided over 30 to 40 feet in the past 80 years. So the ground is sinking. We're pumping that groundwater so fast, but it's really the only response right now to less surface water availability. We have to change that equation. We have to create other incentives and opportunities with both technology and with revenue to incentivize water conservation, to conserve surface water, to conserve groundwater. Groundwater is half of the water that's used for irrigation and about half of groundwater generally is used for irrigation. So it's a huge area of concern uh, that isn't really well managed right now. And we have to help landowners conserve that water in a way that either maintains or increases their revenue opportunities. Right, so how does it actually work? Yeah, so we put sensors and controls on pumps. So we have a satellite connected system. We use a satellite service called Swarm, 
uh, that was founded a few years ago. They have satellites that are about the size of a paperback book and give you global internet coverage for cheaper than cellular data. So we can operate literally anywhere in the world, whether it's Northern Kenya or the Central Valley of California. And we attach our sensors and our control systems to these pumps. It takes a less than an hour uh, to, to attach one of our sensors. And we can take control of the pumps. And this lets us do a few different things. One, we can help growers use less water by being more efficient with their irrigation, by timing and monitoring water use and water demand. Two, we can also tie growers into energy incentives, in particular in California, there's a market for what's called demand response. And this is a little bit complicated, but growers out in California are certainly familiar with it already. The utility, PG&E, doesn't have enough capacity to meet all of the load, especially in the middle of the summer. So in the middle of the summer in a drought year, farmers are using really, really big groundwater pumps. So these pumps use a ton of electricity and they're using it in the middle of the day to irrigate their fields at the same time that LA or San Francisco has all of the ACs on in the city. And so when everybody's pumping water and it's really hot outside and all the ACs are on, there just isn't enough electricity to go around. So demand response will actually pay growers to not use their pumps during peak demand. It doesn't necessarily mean that they have to use less water, but if they shift when they use water, when they use their pumps, they can actually be paid an incentive. And this incentive can be as much as thousands of dollars a year per pump, but we have to control those pumps. So the Verity technology allows us to take control of pumps, turn them off during peak demand and pay growers for that inconvenience. Really? Wow, that is really interesting. Can it be used on existing irrigation equipment or does it have to be new? Yeah, so that's that's the uh, secret sauce that we came up with is Verity. We use the same technology on a pump in Ethiopia or Nigeria or Colorado or California. We optimized a pump monitoring and pump control system that's essentially universal. We don't need to know much of anything about a pump ahead of time. Some of these pumps are a few years old. Some of them might be 80 years old. It doesn't matter. We can install our technology and take control of that pump and help farmers actually get paid to conserve electricity and, by extension, help them optimize their water use and conserve water. Right. And um, so you you spent some time in Africa and why did you first deploy the technology there? Yeah, well before we started working with growers and landowners in the United States, we were focused on water access in sub-Saharan Africa. So there's still a billion people in the world who don't drink clean water. There's 3 billion people who have water insecurity at least a couple days a year. And the global burden of disease, the people that are sick in the world, there's a huge fraction of people that are sick because of dirty water. About 5 million children under the age of five, die every year because of diarrheal disease. Still today, it's 2022, and yet millions of kids die from preventable disease because they're drinking dirty water. So this is where we got started. And, and one of the challenges is a lot of the way that you fund water access in, in low-income countries is with international donations or government funding. But communities don't have enough money to actually pay to keep those water pumps or those water treatment systems working. So this is how we introduced climate finance a number of years ago into this equation, where now 
The Veridi technology is monitoring over 4 million people's water pumps in Africa. And we are on our way to earning carbon credits tied to that monitoring, selling those carbon credits to US corporates that have made net zero commitments, you know, trying to reduce their own emissions. And then we plow that money back into operation and maintenance. So we actually can generate revenue for communities in Africa to maintain those water pumps. I see. Wow. That is that is really that's really out of the box type of thinking, right? To try to get get something done with not relying on government so much. Yeah, it's a really interesting mashup of US corporates who are committed to reducing their emissions, but also can't really necessarily do it all on their own. They actually need to buy offsets from elsewhere. We were the first to actually invent the idea of linking that demand to water treatment and water access in places that need it. And and keep in mind, these are areas of the world where climate change is making these problems worse. You know, there's, there's about 20 million people in East Africa who are facing famine right now. This summer, it's the worst drought. It's unprecedented five-season drought. Uh, so drought has led to people not having enough water, to livestock dying, to crops failing. And food relief normally will come from either Russia or the Ukraine or the Midwest or the United States. Well, the grain is locked behind the war in Russia and Ukraine. And the Midwestern United States also had crop failures this year because of drought. So food relief is actually imperiled this year in Africa. Mm-hmm. When we provide revenue streams and technologies that can improve the management of groundwater in Africa, it can build resilience to famine and, and water insecurity in a place where climate change is making that problem worse. Climate change caused by high-income countries and is being felt by low-income countries. That's interesting. And and so back here in North America, does the size of the farm affect how successful the technology is? Or is there a specific farm type that is suited? You know, the size of the farm is relevant to, to the landowner's resilience to climate change. Small farms are going to have a harder time, just like small communities in Africa. Small farms in the United States are the ones feeling the effects of climate change today. They don't have nearly as much resilience or alternatives to irrigation when that water dries up. So the the smaller farms can participate equally in these opportunities to generate revenue from energy conservation and water conservation. The places where it's most viable is where uh, they're using the most amount of water. So in the Central Valley, for example, of California, these are really, really deep groundwater pumps Uh, pumping up a lot of water. So they're really using a lot of electricity. The more electricity you're using right now for pumping, the more of an opportunity we have as Verity to come in and help you save money on electricity and actually make money on conserving electricity and water. Right. That makes sense. And other specific crops that that, um, are more suitable or or, uh, benefit the most? Well, so that's the other big topic. You know, what we can't just conserve water. We can't just switch when we're using water. Growers need to also make decisions in the next few years about switching crops or leasing their water rights or leasing their land for other uses. Uh, We work with an alfalfa farmer in the Rio Grande uh, in the San Luis Valley here in Colorado. Alfalfa needs a lot of water. So he doesn't have a choice. He has to run his pumps pretty much all the time as soon as his surface water allocations have dried up. And this summer they dried up back in May rather than in June Mm -hmm. or July. 
And so he's already thinking about, okay, in the near term, I can use technologies like Verities to reduce energy use, to reduce water use, and to still uh, and to still tra- focus on maintaining my yields. In the long term, we're also working with him to identify other crops, other uses of that land, and other uses of the water, actually getting paid to retire or lease his water rights, and perhaps even stop farming alfalfa, at least to a certain extent. Yeah, that makes sense. And and what about livestock? Is there a potential solution for animal drinking water in drought-prone areas as well? Yeah, so it comes to the same thing. Livestock often are drinking either surface water or groundwater, or there's conjunctive use water sources for livestock, where it's both a combination of, of surface and groundwater. But it's the same story. We have to make sure that that livestock have water, but not so, but you're not, you know, using so much water that a lot of it goes to waste. So it's a question of optimization of that water use. The other thing that we do as VRD is focus on the soil health. There, there are about 40% of agricultural soils globally and in the United States are degraded. And it means that we actually are getting less yields with less resilience to things like drought. We have more soil erosion, uh, more dust. If we can build carbon into the soil, we have a couple opportunities. One, it can increase yields. It can be beneficial to farmers to do things like regenerative agriculture practices that actually improve soil carbon sequestration. But two, Soil carbon sequestration is a huge revenue opportunity for growers. If they engage in these practices that actually restore healthy soils, they can be paid using these same carbon credit mechanisms for their effort. They can be paid for the effort of putting carbon back in the ground because it not only benefits them and their yields, it benefits the entire planet. And after a grower decides to start working with you, what steps are involved and what's the process from placing an order to installation? Yeah. So the first thing we look at is, are they working with a energy utility that offers these demand response opportunities? There's, mm-hmm. It's not everywhere in the U.S. There's about 10 states in the United States that have a wholesale marketplace for energy, which means that the rates change throughout the day or throughout the year. Uh, and there's a handful of states that offer demand response opportunities. The, the biggest market's in California today, but it's growing across the Western U.S. where there's this you know, unfortunate alignment between drought and energy demand. Right. And so we first look at what the revenue potential is, and then we can size uh, the pumps that they're using and come up with an estimate of the revenue. And once we agree on what that potential is, we can actually pay farmers for the inconvenience of letting us tromp around their fields for a couple of days and installing these installing these controllers. So we don't ask growers to pay us up front. We actually pay them up front okay, wow. to let us put these controls on their pumps. And then once they do that, they're not obligated to participate. It just gives them the opportunity to participate when a demand response is uh, opportunity is called by the utility. I see. Wow. So, you know, I believe there's no better steward of the land than a farmer. Um, they're, they're very aware of that delicate balance between health of their land and animals, the push to feed more people and fewer resources, and then profit, of course, to stay in business. So, you know, how, and you've touched on this a lot, how can Verdi um, help them achieve that goal and, and really measure that success? How, how do you do that? We talk to a lot of our customers and a lot of growers out there and, you know, there's, there's very little resistance to, you know, 
the fact that climate change is making these challenges harder for growers. But they're not the bad guys. They don't want to be, you know, looked at as the problem. They're part of the solution. They're the ones growing the food. They're the ones uh, producing the meat uh, that we all consume. The growers have to worry first about their own land holdings. What we need to do is align the challenges that climate change is uh, is putting upon these growers with the opportunity to help them save or make money when there's practices that are changed. Growers can't just use less water unilaterally or use less electricity unilaterally or, or have fewer livestock or change crops or engage in expensive regenerative practices just because they think it's the a nice thing to do. They can't afford to do that. Yeah. We need to help them access revenue to be able to adopt those practices and adopt those technologies in a way that benefits their entire community. Yeah, that's it. And and in this time, farmers often feel vilified by what they do. And, you know, so so like you said, really helping them gain these opportunities is is really important and be rewarded for taking part. Yeah, I mean, growers aren't the ones that are the billionaires riding around on private jets. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, building mansions that only a couple people live in. You know, they're not the bad guys in climate change, but we can access money from essentially corporate America and from international commitments and from government incentives to help farmers, both big and small, engage in practices that increase their own yields, increase their own revenue, and are are help us mitigate the impacts of climate change that we're feeling today, like drought. Right. Yeah. And so um, your work as a professor at University of Colorado, how does that complement your work at Verity and vice versa? Yeah. One of the, you know, the the team I lead here at the University of Colorado is called the Mortensen Center in Global Engineering. And we focus on how do you develop and apply technologies to better monitor and then better manage environmental resources. So we invented a lot of these technologies in our research lab and then bring them over to VRD for commercialization. One of the big challenges, whether you're talking about water quality or water access or soil carbon measurements, is, is how do you actually make sure that you have high quality data. It's one of the big risks right now in this industry is that there's a lot of bad projects out there or a lot of projects out there where you don't really know what's really going on uh, on a field or in a pump uh, or in a water supply. So the technologies that we developed through the university are focused on getting the best quality data that improves everybody's confidence in these markets. Yeah, that makes sense. And I have one last question for you. Why do you personally serve the ag industry? What's your greatest passion? Everyone in the world is already seeing the effects of climate change. Uh, You know, I have a two-year-old. I want him to have clean water. I want him to have safe food. And I want him to be able to, you know, enjoy the planet the way that we all have so far. To do that, we have to better manage water. We have to make sure that people in Africa have safe, clean drinking water every single day. And we have to make sure that growers in the United States have water access for their crops and livestock. So water is a through line uh, in my career, whether we're talking about water treatment for astronauts in space or water security here on Earth. And it's water that is the first thing that changes and that we have to get a grip on 
in the face of climate change over the coming decades. Great. And and where can people find you if they want to learn more and learn more about Beardy? Yeah, you can find us online at beardy.com, B-I-R-R-I-D-Y.com. Awesome. And yeah, thank you so much. This was a great conversation. A lot of uh, a lot of really interesting things. And I learned something new about space. I had no idea that they drink their own urine. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Never even thought about it before. So thank you so much for joining me. And and uh, I'm sure that producers will will gather a lot from this information. Thanks, Christy. Really appreciate your time. Yeah. And thanks to everyone else uh, who's watching or listening. If you want more information, the links are provided in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to North American Egg Spotlight on YouTube, Rumble, Telegram, or Eggfuse channels. And the podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Amazon, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And have a great day. Thanks so much for listening to today's Egg Spotlight episode, where we put the spotlight on people and companies doing great things for the agricultural industry. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or on your favorite podcasting platform and give us a five-star review. You can also follow us on YouTube and Rumble to see the video version of Ag Spotlight. Also, head on over to NorthAmericanAg.com to subscribe to our Industry Connect update newsletter. If you're interested in advertising opportunities, email us at connect at NorthAmericanAg.com. Thanks for listening. newest podcast by North American Ag is called What Color Is Your Tractor? The stories behind the ag brands you love and the ag brands you love to hate. Hosted by me, Chrissy Wozniak. We take a deep dive into the companies that have built modern agriculture. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Go to whatcolorisyourtractor.com. Available on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Fastline Auctions, the ultimate destination for online farm equipment auctions. Looking to list equipment? Fastline Auctions knows farmers, and farmers have trusted Fastline for their equipment needs for over 45 years. With unmatched digital reach and direct-to-farmer catalogs, they can find the right buyer for your equipment. Not to mention, they have the industry's lowest commission rates. And if you're looking for equipment to buy, you can bid with confidence. No buyer premiums, no reserves, just integrity. Fastline Auctions, your trusted platform for hassle-free, cost-effective farm equipment auctions. Visit fastline.com for more information. You can join us for a tour of the Fastline Auctions platform July 13th at 6.30 p.m. To register for this webinar, go to northamericanag.com slash fastline hyphen webinar. That's northamericanag.com slash fastline hyphen webinar to register now.